Hi, I'm Maeve Marston, and you're listening to the podcast of Queer Stories, an LGBTQI storytelling night hosted at Giant Dwarf in Redfern. This week on Queer Stories, writer, editor, and queer daddy, Kerry Bashford. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm Kerry Bashford, and I'm going to read an excerpt from a, um, I guess, a one-man show I've been developing for a couple of years called Father Figure, My Life as a Daddy Bear. (laughs) People call me Daddy, often, in fact, every day. So many people have been calling me Daddy for so long, I swear the bastards have forgotten my name. Every name, every label I have had in my gay life, I have adopted myself. But this one has been bestowed on me. It's been given to me by other people. I have been invested with it. I have apparently been appointed Daddy Bear by popular demand, and frankly, I do feel rather honoured by the acclaim. But really... Thank you. But really, I thought I would only have one label in my life. At least one that really mattered, I would be gay. It was a label I felt forced to wear, but I would be happy to wear it freely. But little did I realise that gay was just one way to describe me. There will be others, queer, clone, leather bear, you know, it goes on. But these are just a few of the names I answer to along with daddy, sir and boss. And I welcome them all, as I must admit, I like labels if they're fair and true and accurate, or at least clever. (laughs) I like labels, perhaps it's the writer in me, but I want more words to describe me, not less. When someone calls me daddy, I feel it in a way I've never experienced any other label I've adopted or I've been assigned. I've come to understand one thing, if nothing else. Daddy is a powerful word to say and to hear. Those two simple, infinitely infantile syllables seem to carry so much weight and meaning, at least to me. When someone calls me daddy, I take it seriously, much to my detriment, I think. I am that most dreadful thing, a combination of dirty old man and sentimental old fool. No one explained to me that as a middle-aged gay man, I would make a comeback. (laughs) Which is really hard to do. It's really hard to do when you're a wannabe that never was. (laughs) When I was 20, no one really wanted to know me. When I was 30, people started getting the idea. When I was 40, all fucking hell broke loose. (laughs) I was suddenly popular, and I was not at all prepared for it. I had a little experience to draw from, but there's a level at which I fully understand the attraction, the fascination with older men. I too was attracted to them when I was younger, just as well as the younger men were not attracted to me. I consider it one of life's delicious ironies that the men who are chasing me now are the ones who would have ignored me a quarter of a century ago. (laughs) When I myself became the older man, I was not at all prepared for the role of daddy and the attention I would receive from all manner of men who would call me daddy irrespective of age. And trust me, this is not a story about intergenerational sets. <laughs> Most of all, I was not prepared for the popularity that my status would afford me. It flew in the face of everything I'd learned in gay culture and beyond. 
In most cases, ageing wasn't encouraged, but in gay culture it was seen in particularly poor taste. <laughs> youth was to be worshipped, and if you went through your youth without being worshipped, well, bad luck, you missed out. Ageing was the process of accepting increasing irrelevancy and encroaching obsolescence. It certainly wasn't meant to increase, increase your cachet. For some reason, the older and more ornery I get, the more men I attract. <laughs> but I guess I shall be used to it now. People have been calling me daddy longer than would seem proper, more often than would seem polite, and earlier than would seem wise to do so. If I truly could claim an adult son at the age I was first described as a father figure, it would have been, it would have pointed to a youth even more misspent than the one I had. You see, people started calling me daddy when I was in my early 30s. It's true, I've always looked old for my age, which now that I'm of a certain age, I really wish it would plateau. <laughs> but when I was in my teens, I looked like an adult. When I was in my 20s, I looked like I was in my 30s. And I'm sure when I was in my early 30s, I looked like I was marching into middle age. I certainly didn't put up a fight. I held things along by wearing a beard that made me look even older. The effect was immediate. Overnight, I came to be called Daddy, and it stuck. It was certainly longer than the ginger. Anyway. <laughs> my young adult life had not been particularly generous. You know, I was hoping that advancing years would be more my style. It was the 90s. There was a movement called Bears that celebrated the older, hefty, and his suit. Well, I was older and I was hefty, but not very pursuite. And I wasn't going to let something like as trivial as a lack of body hair prevent me from taking my place among my brethren. <laughs> so I grew a beard. <laughs> to somewhere down near my already spreading stomach. Now, I say I grew a beard when what I meant is I affected an overcompensatory tuft of ginger splendour sprouting forth fabulously from my otherwise undistinguished chin. <laughs> it was the perfect disguise. An elaborate mask that immediately attracted attention, though feeling like a shield, perfect for a shy exhibitionist like myself. It was quite a look, as you can see. It commanded respect and it guaranteed that nobody, nobody would ever sit next to me on public transport. <laughs> Never. It carried with it heraldic accounts of Norse gods and bands of bushrangers and gangs of bikies. While I was unlikely to ever gain admittance into any of those legendary ranks, I thought I should at least be able to get in with the, the beers, you know. Most importantly, it made me stand out in a crowd of hairy men. I was different from every other fag with facial hair. I was Kerry of a long red beard. <laughs> Back when bears began, it was a bit like waking up one day and finding your tribe and discovering that you were one of the elders. For someone who never thought he fit in, who had by then come to almost revel in his outsider status, being a bear suddenly felt like I was one of the cool kids. I had somehow become the ideal without doing anything more than surrendering to the passage of time, the ravages of diet, and all the forces that would one day ensure that I would become a fair enough facsimile of my own father. 
by creating the bear, something any bloke could be, gay men made it possible for generations to grow old gracefully. You know, think about it. Only gay men could devise a pension plan based on one's appearance. <laughs> And given that being a daddy ensures admirers well into your dotage, it's kind of like a sexual superannuation. <laughs> and I'm hoping you draw dividends well into my decrepitude. <laughs> being a bear has been a brilliant thing in my life. It was like I won the biological bingo. I decided to be an average bloke precisely at the time it would become popular in gay culture. <laughs> I'd spent my entire life preparing for this moment. I'd never much surrendered to fashion. I always looked bloody silly when I tried. So I still retained the bogan wardrobe with which I began. <laughs> I had always retained a strenuous objection to exercise. And here was a group that fully endorsed me as an endomorph. <laughs> so to summarise, I could be portly, poorly shaven and impoverished in dress and still be treated like a god. Bonus. From a very young age, I had the, the best inspiration on how to be a daddy bear, the ultimate father figure, really, God of the Father. Now, I'm sure most of you had a crush on Christ, <laughs> but the Holy Father was probably the first hot daddy I ever encountered. He taught me that a hairy old bugger, when a grumpy old bastard, could still carry the ultimate authority, even when wearing a caftan. <laughs> the Heavenly Father was robust with dazzling eyes, lightning for thighs, and a long flowing beard that was the most magnificent piece of manscaping you could ever imagine. <laughs> I spent my adolescence singing his praises, literally. I started my writing career writing songs with a gospel rock group. <laughs> I performed with as a teen. We wrote our own material and I was singing in a church every weekend. Well, I guess as I spent the week doing a bong of blats and beats and the bats of strangers' cars, I had a considerable amount to atone. <laughs> and I really was singing for my supper. You might wonder how I could present myself before the Heavenly Father, prostrate myself before him and praise him when I was actually an apprentice sex offender who did beats like most people did had baked dinners. Well, it was easy. The Heavenly Father was hot. God was my first bear crush. I had no problem staring to pictures of him and thinking that this was someone to whom I could surrender. Actually, I think I may have sublimated my sexuality appearing to be writing gospel music, hymns to the hot daddy in the sky. <laughs> the advantage about being a young boy writing songs to God, or actually being a prodigious homosexual, is the pronouns are entirely in your favour. You could sing the sweetest songs and admit to the deepest desires while singing about capital H him. Well, I wasn't referring to him on most high, but the sexy daddy bear at the end of the seventh pew. <laughs> I wrote songs with my best friend at school who also turned out to be gay. We even went as far as writing a gospel rock musical together. Well, I mean, it was the 70s, we were young and gay and gifted what you would expect. <laughs> We wrote a musical about the prodigal son. The prodigal son who you might recall gets naming rights in the Bible. Whereas I've always thought it should be called the forgiving father. 
That's the hero of the story, not the parasitic offspring back home for another slice of fatted cow, not the belligerent brother who had spent years suckling at his teat. It was the father who threw a celebration in return of his long-lost son while the rest of the world celebrated his ruin. And that's what father, what daddy means to me, the place that you could call home when the rest of the world would send you to hell. The only thing I regret was when I was a young gay man, I didn't have a daddy or a father figure, a mentor or even older, wiser member. Frankly, an older, sober member would have helped, but... <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I had been still with a keen sense of social justice and had extensive schooling in the ways of the flesh. But although I had sufficiently been sufficiently politicised and sexualised, I had not been properly socialised. I didn't know how to behave as a gay man among gay men, and I had no one to show me the way. My younger years weren't entirely bereft of instruction from any, my elders. I did have mentors in the gay movement when I joined in the early 80s, and their ideas have shaped me more than any other influence in my life. I feel quite blessed to have come out at this moment in history. I was there just in time to receive the lessons from the gay liberation movement of the 70s that would work as a conduit for the ages before it. This was crucial as very soon a plague would tear through our community and not only would lives be lost, but also all those lessons, all that instruction, all those teachings. I witnessed a kind of social, a cultural amnesia since then, not to mention my own. We're so numb now that we don't even know what we've lost. And what we lost we were a generation of mentors, truth-tellers, sages, the very architects of this lifestyle we now enjoy. Back then I had no one to show me the ropes or show me how to enjoy this lifestyle. I must have made a lousy homosexual in my 20s. It's a wonder they won't let me go on to the next level. <laughs> Despite being sexually active with my classmates from the age of 12, um, politically active from the age of 17, I didn't have any gay male friends, anything approaching peers until my early 20s, and anything that resembled a partner until my late 20s. In many ways, I spent my young years fighting for my right to express a love that I never felt was fully reciprocated. Back then, I would have loved to have had a, a father, someone fatherly in my life to put a hand on my shoulder, or any part of my anatomy he saw fit, <laughs> and tell me that I was all right. In fact, my future would be fabulous. I would have thrived on the encouragement of someone who had been there before me. Maybe that's why I now extend that kind, that kind word, that welcome shrug, that you know, shrug of reassurance. I know what it's like to feel like a stranger at a party, even one you've helped organise. I was to find that kindness I was looking for, but not where I expected. It was at this time that I benefited from the instruction of not older men, but older women. It was the lesbians who welcomed me into the fold, into the family, not the gay men, who hadn't yet decided whether I was desirable enough for inclusion. But the lesbians liked me, and they took me in. And it's a kindness I've never forgotten. They didn't care that I had the right connections, or clothes, or cock or that I was yet to discover personal style or perhaps even personal freshness. <laughs> in some ways, this experience shaped me as a man, a gay man, indeed a daddy, more than any other. 
In the end, it wasn't my own father or any of those men who followed under whose influence I fell. It was these women who taught me many of the qualities that I believe makes me a jaggy worthy of a name, who showed me support and taught me tenderness, who shared hospitality and gave me hope. It probably made me... <laughs> It probably made me more nurturing than I'd like to be, but it showed me the power. <laughs> you have to help someone, help shape somebody else's experience. And trust me, you don't have to be a daddy to do it. I'm often reminded of this when I'm called upon to counsel a baby poor for diet, or someone who is beginning their journey. I hear them tell of how they can't find their place in the LGBTIQ community or culture, nor find the acceptance they desire. And when I stand their experience against mine, they always seem so much further down the road than I was at their age. What they really realise is that they are not only more extraordinary than they could possibly imagine, they are, they are doing better than they ever would realise, and they will go further than they could ever dream. I'm living proof. Now that I'm a man, even one that could occasionally be mistaken as distinguished, I'm still that little child trying to find his family, despite appearances, and that young man trying to find his home. I just never imagined that I might occasionally be allowed to be seated at the head of the table, and that being a daddy is where I would find love, acceptance, and appreciation above all the purpose and a place that I had been searching for all my life, all as a result of one word, daddy. Thank you. Tickets for the next Queer Stories on the Giant Dwarf website. And for discount tickets to the show, donate to my crowdfunding at patreon.com slash ladysingsitbetter. Thanks for listening.